Welcome to the TF Blockchain Podcast, where we interview blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency innovators actively building, growing, and investing in this emerging technology. I'm your host and founder of TF Blockchain, Jonathan G. Blanco. TF Blockchain hosts quarterly conferences and monthly events live recorded for this podcast. Our current chapters are located in Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, San Francisco, Austin, San Antonio, and Dallas. Our upcoming conferences will be TF5 in Seattle on March 19, 2020, and TF6 in Austin on June 4, 2020. To get involved with TF Blockchain, participate in future TF conferences, attend a chapter in your area, or to start a new chapter, please visit tfblock.io. Hey, I want to share a special promo with you from our friends over at CoinMine so you can get your very own CoinMine 1 and mine cryptocurrency from your house in the simplest way possible. I have one, I love it, and I want to make sure you can get one too. So visit CoinMine.com TFBlock and use discount code TFBlock to get $50 off. This episode is a special live recording from TF4, our most recent sold-out TF blockchain conference held on November 14, 2019 in Seattle at the Triple Door. In this episode, our Portland chapter director, Carrie Bracey, leads a panel discussing regulation, taxes, and compliance, featuring Dax Hansen of Perkins Coie, Antonio Alvarez with CoinMe, Bob Cornish with Anderson Kill, and Patrick Larson with Zenledger. Together, they discuss the current crypto landscape from the legal and regulatory frameworks and how it has continued to evolve. It's not perfect, but it is getting better. RTF4 audience really enjoyed this panel, and I hope you do as well. I want to give a huge thank you to our media sponsor, Stably, for handling the audio and video for TF4. Stably is an asset-backed stablecoin on the blockchain. It's faster, cheaper, secured, and borderless. You can learn more about Stably at stably.io. Uh, I want to introduce Carrie. Carrie is our chapter director in Portland. Uh, so we have chapters in Portland, Vancouver, um, Austin, Texas, San Francisco, um, uh, Seattle, of course, uh, soon to be San Antonio. Uh, Jacob's right over here. And then soon to be uh, Dallas and Washington, DC. So with that, Carrie, I'm really excited for your panel. It's not you, he'll, he'll turn it. Are they on? Hello, oh, there we go. Awesome, hi everybody. Um, as Jonathan said, my name is Carrie Bracey. I'm the chapter director um, of Portland Branch. And I'm really excited to have these gentlemen here with me today to talk about exciting things around regulations, taxes, and compliance. Um, this is something that I find very fascinating for myself. I actually um, came from eight years in financial services, so this is something that I've heard uh, many for many many years. So um, I just want to go down the line here. If you gentlemen would go ahead and introduce yourselves, that'd be great. Hi everybody. Uh, my name is Dax Hansen. I'm a partner with Perkins Coie here in Seattle, uh, and I chair the firm's blockchain and digital assets group, which we uh, founded officially in 2013, but we've been at this since 2010. And I also chair the firm's electronic financial services or fintech practice. Hello, my name is Bob Cornish. I'm a partner at Anderson Kill, a New York law firm. I'm in their Washington, D.C. office. I've been admitted to the uh, state of Wyoming to practice for 15 years. I'm part of the Wyoming Blockchain Coalition, and I was uh, assisting uh, 
the legislature and others in the drafting of the uh, banking legislation and uh, other blockchain-related rules and regulations over the past year. Hi, my name is Pat Larson. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Zenledger.io. We help uh, individuals and accounts with their tax filing, uh, capital gains, and cryptocurrency investment. We've handled over a billion dollars of transactions, uh, several thousand customers. We work with hundreds of CPAs, and we've worked with uh, several large accounting firms, including uh, you know, big four accounting firms in their high net worth practice. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Antonio Alvarez. I'm the Chief Compliance Officer for CoinMe. Uh, we provide um, accessibility to crypto um, to everybody, uh, to consumer through ATMs, kiosks, uh, ACH, and any other types of many other types of uh, fiat ramps in and out. As such, we are a regulated financial service uh, and company, uh, regulated at the federal level as well as some state levels. So my my role in the company is to ensure that we comply with all the different regulations um, and variety of expectations on a financial services company. Awesome, thanks you guys. Um, well, I just thought we'd kick this conversation off this morning uh, to talk about, you know, what are the, what does the current landscape look like in, in this respect? What are some of the challenges that maybe individuals or businesses or even um, consumers might be uh, facing right now? Well, me, I'll, I'll kick it off here. And of course, this is a, a that's a big, broad question. Um, I guess what I say, first of all, I think one of the points that we were talking about as a panel earlier is that it's clear that we need to be clear to distinguish regulation of blockchain technology from certain activities and like cryptocurrencies and even things like payments or securities. That um, in general, I don't think there's any effort to regulate blockchain technology, but um, depending on the activities you're engaged in, you could trigger all sorts of, of compliance obligations. So if you're issuing a, a cryptocurrency, there's going to be uh, financial services related laws. If you're issuing a, a security or you're trying to tokenize a security or you're going to be dealing with the secondary market uh, for, for security, you're going to be dealing with the securities laws or investment company laws. Um, and if you're just um, trying to figure out, like, you have to pay taxes on the transaction, you're going to deal with tax laws. So, so it's quite broad. Just, um, I will say also that we're at a really interesting inflection point um, globally uh, for regulation, I think brought in part, uh, in large part, by the Libra Association Project. Now, that was a topic of discussion earlier this morning. Uh, but it's caused a global conversation about things like stable coins and monetary policy and money transmission. And we're also seeing a lot of international focus on things like anti-money laundering, where we have not just um, individual nations discussing things, but um, uh, financial uh, action task force, FATF, and the G7, who are uh, looking at, at these things now. So there's a lot going on um, in the United States. I'd say we're getting more regulatory certainty all the time. Sometimes it's by enforcement, um, but um, we're, we're getting guidance and, and it's, in my opinion, it's, it's never really ever been the Wild West. There actually is a fair amount of, of regulatory certainty. You just have to know where to look for it. I think there's a macro issue in terms of what happens in the United States does affect what goes on elsewhere in the world, in particular when it comes to international uh, non-US businesses that want to come to the United States uh, that are blockchain or crypto related. And uh, they find that the regulations 
in the United States or just of the legal scheme in general is very far, you know, pardon the pun, foreign to them because many of the folks in these jurisdictions are used to finding specific rules that have specifically addressed whatever it is they're doing. And the fact in the United States that we have uh, more subjective, open regulation that is open to interpretation and is generally more flexible presents actually a cultural problem. And, it's, and this is heightened, I think, in the area of uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain. But where I do think a lot of the conversation is turning, and I do agree with you on, 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 this, on the uh, role of the states, I'm uh, very proud about what Wyoming has done. I think the fact that innovation globally is, you know, we're, the United States doesn't want to be left behind, and I think the conversation on regulation in the United States is shifting from a prescriptive uh, mode to one that's more accommodating and one that would enhance and encourage job creation. Uh, I think we find ourselves in a gray area right now. Obviously, we haven't um, solidified what the guidance should be. Uh, for individual taxpayers, that leads to a lot of confusion. People think that they can do 1031 exchanges or uh, you know, a crypto for crypto trade is non-taxable. There's a lot of misconceptions out there. Uh, and then there's the difficulty of transacting every day in cryptocurrency because you're incurring a capital gain uh, at any time uh, you try to use the asset, which, which creates difficulties. Uh, and it, it doesn't seem like um, uh, we're going to get any comprehensive uh, crypto like taxation regulation bill passed in any time in, in, in the near term. Uh, so, so that puts pressure on regulators who don't want to create policy, but they're like put in the position of having to, to provide clarity. And they're afraid to um, uh, end up in court and have a decision go against them and basically create a new law that Congress didn't pass. So, so we're kind of stuck in these gray areas where regulators make kind of small, very limited um, uh, announcements that give a small amount of clarity, but never like full clarity. And I guess on that point, it's way on the tech side. Um, I know like in 2014, we met with the IRS and we're like, can't we treat this as a currency? And they're like, no, I mean, the way the tax code is written, it's property, right? And so unless Congress acts, the IRS is limited to construing the law as, as it worked, and, and it is clunky for all of us. So from my perspective, I look, I look at it from a financial services perspective. That's my, my world. It's quite interesting times. Um, at, the, at the US level, you have regulations that are now just passed, right? Congress just funded the Department of Treasury to explore the use of blockchain in the prevention of money laundering. Um, and do all the far findings to things sent into a blockchain technology that law enforcement can use. So they're adopting it that way. Um, on the other hand, you have what is a, a, a bill right now on the floor that the title, don't quote me on the title, but it's something like preventing big tech from becoming banks, right? And that's an act at the end, right? So that, that's actually that's the regulations on it. Um, and then around the world, you blink twice, and there's a new law, right? A new country that's come up with a new interpretation. And what's interesting for me is overarching everything, the, the Financial Action Task Force, the FATF, that now all the different countries are trying to influence to set the international standards on how to regulate um, uh, financial services in the crypto environment for the prevention of money laundering and terrorist financing. 
Um, we just finished the, um, the, the, the chapter, the, the, the time where the U.S. was uh, kind of you know, leading the charter um, with the implementation of some crypto regulations and recommendations. Um, it's really interesting because the next one is going to be China. It's going to be leading the, the FATF uh, discussion. So it's really interesting times because you just don't know which way the regulation is going to turn and, and by how much the next time. So it's, it's very, very interesting both from a blockchain and from a, a crypto and financial services. Because at the end of the day, and I, I I'll, I'll stop talking soon, but uh, at the end of the day, crypto, as any new financial technology, was first adopted by the crews. Um, and and the, by the time governments, regulators, and all the financial industry reacted to it, that's, that's the perception that has been created out there that now we're all trying to fight against, including the regulators. Well, and maybe it was one more baseline, right? Like, which is recognize that, like, regulators and law enforcement, they're trying to do the right thing. And they don't want anything bad to happen on their watch, and we should appreciate that. Um, something did ha something bad did happen over the last couple of years, and that was there was an enormous amount of fraud um, related to ICOs, right? That there were a band of companies that did, that, that launched new wave of products and services that are gonna be the future, uh, in my opinion, but there were a lot of wannabes that piled on and they sold tokens that weren't backed by anything as well up front. So we're working that out of our system and we shouldn't be surprised that there's, there's some uh, skepticism, frankly, by some regulators and some law enforcement, I think, uh, on this point. And I think it's back to the industry, I'd say, to do your homework and to be um, uh, diligent and prepare your products, go talk to regulators, give them an opportunity to, to help, but, but be responsible in how you launch products and services. Yeah, I think in the United States, and at least with, in the states generally, I mean, maybe except for New York, uh, the regulators actually want to be helpful. They want to encourage your business. They want to be able to make sure that you're operating in a lawful and compliant manner. At least in Wyoming, with the banking regulation that was just passed, the biggest concern with that, frankly, was, uh, was soundness and safety. It wasn't anything that was, you know, anti-blockchain or anti-crypto. All the, the biggest concerns of those legislators when that bill was passed in March was if one of these banks blows up, what, you know, what is it that we can put in place that's going to prevent that? And if it does happen, is anybody from the state going to have to pay for it? These are just very pragmatic issues that a lot of folks are dealing with in drafting rules and regulations and trying to get these things in place. And I don't think it's fair to, you know, uh, you know, paint blockchain and crypto with a, with a broad brush of, you know, fraud and deceit and, you know, these are bad things. They, very, they have very legitimate purposes. But don't take those concerns and view them as being, being anti-blockchain or crypto. It's really regulators doing their job. It's, it's, it's funny, so just to, to say, it's funny when I think about the, when credit cards first came into the market, uh, right, Bank of America in, 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 in California, and the first run was consumed by fraud. Nobody paid their bill, right? But there was a, a belief behind it that it was going to be everything, that it was going to revolutionize payments. And they pushed through all the, the fraud and all the crimes to, to get it to a stable place where we are today, and we have to go through that in the crypto environment. Yeah. This brings up a really great point. I think you have mentioned Wyoming, and 
as of what I've read, they've enacted 13 bills, um, which is amazing. So thinking about that for other states, what are things that you think, or either of any of you, um, that we can learn from that? What are things that we can start to do to move you know, Washington and Oregon and California into adopting and enacting some similar? I think the biggest uh, takeaway from Wyoming is the fact that the industry players who knew their products and what was going on in the world communicated that and educated the legislators as to why it was important for them to have these regulations and what benefits it brought to the states. Ultimately, these discussions on blockchain and cryptocurrency, sure, they're, they're regulatory, but the main driver of this is, frankly, the United States is losing jobs from, from these companies being, you know, either being overseas because they don't understand or don't want to deal with U.S. regulation, or they have some preconception that the United States views them as criminals, which frankly isn't true, but if you travel, all of us who have traveled overseas or even gone to an overseas blockchain conference, you know, telling, you know, somebody in Estonia that you should open an office in New York is, you know, somewhat ludicrous. They'll look at you very scance. But in Wyoming, the discussion was driven by industry, uh, you know, through practical needs, through the practicality of what was actually needed to make the bills work. You know, with the banking bill, it was uh, making sure that the banks would again be, sit, you know, sound and secure and that there would be little downside risk to the state. Uh, with other bills, it, you know, it had to deal with, frankly, the ability for these things to generate revenue and create jobs. So I think when, you, when people are talking about these things, I think you need to frame them not as a you know, pro-blockchain, anti-blockchain thing. I mean, it's pro-job creation, pro-innovation. I think in the United States, we also have a systemic problem. Um, the way that the regulations are set up and the, and the regulators are set up. We have 54 different state and territory regulators that we have to deal with that don't, not only they don't all agree, but some of them only meet twice a year. Some of we have states with Congress that are part-time. So changing their statutes to actually make it more cohesive is not just difficult, it's impossible um, because it's just not part of their priorities. We need to look at a solution and the regulators need to look at a solution more around uniformity of, of, of like, a, like a passporting system, like in Europe, where you get a license in one country and you can operate in all the other countries because they recognize this, the minimum standards. That is where the, the states and the state regulators should be going through, either through the support of the OCC or the mandate of the OCC or, or some other mechanism but that, that pushes them in that direction. So, um I'd also say that just as there are early adopters in the industry around a new technology innovation, same, we've seen the same thing with, um, new, with jurisdictions, governments and regulators. And uh, right now, um, many, many jurisdictions like Malta, for instance, and Isle of Man, right, that, that are more flexible, they've always been trying to track commerce to their, to their jurisdiction. I've seen, for instance, that it's quite difficult for companies to operate in the United States because of our, you know, I guess slow um, move to regulatory clarity and certainty. Um, it, but even within the United States, we have certain states that are 
early adopters and looking for innovation. I mean, uh, Wyoming is an example of one, but we also have Delaware and, uh, who's looked at, uh, at, at this and made some, some um, strides. Um, um, Illinois has, I know there's actually a lot of movement here in Washington State to figure out like what is the angle uh, that we can pursue? Is it for um, some sort of uh, financial institution? Is it for supply chain um, you know, that, that's sort of geared to our industries like agriculture or technology? And, and so people are finding the opportunities there. And, and many states, have a, a governor has an advisory council and we'll see more and more legislation, I think, initiatives. If I may, I think there need to be some changes uh, administratively, at least within the federal side of things. I mean, especially with the OCC and the FDIC. I mean, as far as I know, the OCC inspection manuals still view blockchain-related companies as high-risk accounts. And those kinds of things present uh, a problem for this industry growing. I mean, you shouldn't have to be banking like a nomad so you can have a U.S. bank account to pay your employees. There are basic things like this that unfortunately are trapped, I guess, in governmental inertia. And it's just going to take you know, a lot more effort, I think, on the part of the industry and industry participants to show, A, they're really, they're good people for the economy, and B, they are, you know, playing, they are uh, committed to having fair markets and a fair playing field for people participating in the industry. Well, it takes time, and, and I will just say, uh, like, banking issues that uh, that are problematic, I've gotten so much better. Like, they used to be really, really bad. We now have banks that are focused on banking crypto companies, right? Um, the OCC has an Office of Innovation. They've been open to, to having these discussions. Um, so, but, but I feel like the Gartner Hype Cycle report on blockchain technology, what I take away from that is that we're actually dealing with a, a development horizon of 20 or 30 years. So we're, we're 10 years into the development. Like we, we've got the early use cases, like we've got a great global payment system in Bitcoin. We have a great um, operating system in Ethereum. Okay, like that's pretty good for 10 years. Um, but if you're gonna look for some of these other um, projects to, to materialize, it's gonna take some 20, no, 10, 10, 10, 15 years. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, I want to take one question, so if somebody wants to uh, come up to the mic. Um, while I'm, we have somebody coming up for a question, I just wanted to kind of talk about, you know, we talked about a lot about regulation. Um, and one of the things from a state level, thinking about from a federal level, is the IRS. Um, I think that's been sort of a, uh, an undefined area right now, especially for people who are currently um, investing in crypto of some sort and even you know, cost basis versus um, reporting your gains and things like that. What kind of impact um, have we heard for the 2019 tax season that might be impactful for investors? Yeah, there's recent uh, IRS announcement that gave a little bit more clarity but caused a lot more consternation around enforcing airdrops. Uh, generally, the most conservative way to treat that is uh, treat as income. Uh, if, if, if you get a token that's valueless, you don't have to claim it. But if, you know, like um, uh, Bitcoin Cash airdrop was significant, but there's also liquidity. So you had, you got free money, you could have sold it at that point. 
um, but, uh, but it was also income at that point. So there's these things that don't make sense because uh, no one asks, like you didn't opt in to the Bitcoin cash, right? And, and the IRS hasn't addressed um, that, that aspect of it. They just said it came into your possession and that's income and you, you accrue value. So, so there's a, a bunch of things like that. Uh, I, as we come up to the end of the year, I think it's important to know that you can tax loss harvest in cryptocurrency. Uh, the wash rule does not specifically uh, state that cryptocurrency falls under it. So that is a gray area on whether or not, like what, what the span is that you can capture uh, your tax losses. But certainly if you make a trade uh, in late December uh, to sell some of your uh, coins that are underwater and buy them back in January, that's uh, uh, completely allowed. And that's a very smart thing that uh, individual investors can do. Uh, otherwise, like you know, consult a tax professional. The, the rules that govern cryptocurrency accounting in an individual aspect are, are pretty well understood. There are aggressive uh, tactics you can take, uh, but the conservative route is like well understood by most CPAs. Am I back? Okay. Um, thank you, gentlemen. I'm going to take a quick question here, and then we'll kind of wrap things up. Hello, sir. Hi. Uh I guess in about the last year or so, there have been a couple of billion dollars worth of cryptocurrencies stolen, mostly out of hacked wallets and exchanges and so forth. And how does that play with the, with the regulators uh, when they're, you, know, you guys were talking about um, safety and, and security and, uh, and so forth? And how much of an impact does this ongoing theft of cryptocurrencies have on their viewpoint of cryptocurrencies soundness as a whole? From a, from a financial crimes perspective, um, it, it's important they look at it, right? At the end of the day, the regulator always reacts um, to protect the consumer, right? It's about their citizens and protect, protecting their citizens. So far, my view is that the regulator hasn't seen crypto as a currency or, or, a, or a tool of the masses. Um, so there are, there are big hacks and there are steals uh, and theft, but they're very concrete and very... Um, they're hurting people that they're not masses, so that the regulators shouldn't be caring. I don't want to say they don't care about, but they don't care enough to actually pass a regulation or, or to go after it from a regulatory protection perspective. My hope is that as crypto and blockchain becomes more adopted by the masses, like, like Libra and other <clears throat> coins like that, that are going to be putting more crypto in the hands of the consumer, that that will force the hands of the regulators to even get more involved in protecting them. Um, the way that they protect our bank accounts through the FDIC or they protect our credit cards um, through, through their... Well, and I should say about half the states do license cryptocurrency activity with exchanges and wallets and vaults, and, and, and they look at these um, safety mechanisms and safeguards to protect um, the, their customers' assets, and they require surety bonds. So um, in, in many of the states, they're licensing that activity and doing examinations to address that very problem. That was a, uh, the safety and soundness of the theft issue was a, was probably the biggest topic uh, that was of concern to the Wyoming legislators when they passed the bill, when they actually wrote the bill. Uh, the banking commissioner, of course, is always found, is, is actually now calls himself the Wyoming blockchain commissioner. Uh, you know, talks about, was always talking about, we, we, we don't know what we don't know. And that uncertainty in terms of what it is the state can do to prevent themselves from being on the hook from, from essentially paying depositors back was really the, 
the back and forth that drove a lot of the customer protections that are now in the bill. Uh, they're actually uh, probably one and a half times stronger than you have in the regular Wyoming trust law. Uh, there has to be uh, blended hot and cold storage for digital assets. You have to have a surety bond. You have to have a theft bond. And the bank itself has to have a lockbox deposit that the state has first dibs on as, you know, for purposes of liquidating or receiving the, the bank if it fails. So these things are real. Um, you know, I don't know whether you can cover all the rest. I mean, my compliance officer friend down at the and over there, I'm sure he's happy yeah. the building isn't in flames <laughs> at five I, every day. But, you know, that's a good day if it isn't. So, you know. This is awesome. Thank you, gentlemen, so much. Um, we could definitely go on and on about this. So um, I encourage you at a ne our next networking opportunity to find these gentlemen and engage in more conversation. So thank you all thank you. so much. Quick question you want to pose to them? To everybody? Somebody have a question you want to leave the audience with? Anybody? Anybody? I guess I would just say, you know, do you feel like you have um, good access to your regulators? Do you feel like you have good um, uh, representation with the industry? Do you feel like you have good advisors? Uh, there are resources, and I, I to, you know, Chevy Johnson and team to, to, to find access to those if you're looking for help. Awesome. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the TF Blockchain Podcast. Please help us continue to spread blockchain, Bitcoin, and crypto awareness by sharing this podcast, attending our events, following us on social, and rating and reviewing this podcast by clicking all the stars on our homepage so we can be more accessible across Apple, Spotify, and all podcast platforms. Thank you for your support. Keep learning, keep growing, and keep building. The views and opinions expressed at TF Blockchain events and podcasts are solely those of the ones presenting and do not necessarily reflect the positions or opinions of TF Blockchain. TF Blockchain is not responsible for the opinions or content of its guests and does not endorse any particular company or currency. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used to make investment decisions.